Hello everyone and welcome to another social advocacy series from Analytica and Tribal Impact. Uh, today, um, Sarah and I are delighted to welcome uh, Ian Brown from SAS. Thanks so much for joining us, Ian. Hi everyone. Hi Tim. Hi Sarah. Thank you for inviting me on today. Um, and Ian is the head of data science at SAS, um, an analytics firm that I'm sure lots of you will uh, already know about. And uh, you previously was a, a credit risk analyst and spent the last 10 years at, at SAS. And so um, Ian has actually featured in, um, in a lot of our analysis on uh, how influential tech uh, employees are. Actually, I think you were number one in big data and augmented analytics in a report that we did um, back in August 2020. Um, 118,000 followers on Twitter, um, 32,000 followers, I think, on LinkedIn, driving sizable um, engagement. So um, we're really, really happy to have you to talk to us, Ian. And we'd love to hear, first of all, just a bit about your social media journey, like when it started, when the kind of breakthrough moments were, and, and how you amassed that that wonderful engaged audience, which I suppose a lot of people are, are, are very, um, are, are very um, impressed by. Well, th thank you, Tim. And uh, as I say, it's it's taken a, a, some time. That didn't come about automatically or, or, or in a short period. Um, and also, I'd like to say I'm, I'm quite lucky in the area I work. So I, I focus in on data science, as you mentioned, uh, but I have uh, an areas of, of interest in AI and in ethics and in the application of machine learning, which tend to be quite popular topics in this day and age. So these are areas that we find a lot of engagement in a lot of interest in across all sectors. Um, so I've been in this role at SAS for 10 years. I moved into more of a leadership role probably about three or four years ago. Um, and during that transition, I felt there was a need to, to kind of have a voice in the market around these types of topics and to share the great work we do as an organization, my teams do as an uh, in, in their day-to-day -day work and get that out there so people can see how AI is being utilized and, and how, how practically it can be used. So as part of that, I started to engage a bit more with the social channels. Um, I think I started with LinkedIn. So I had probably a quite a small number of connections at that point. Most of those who worked in my own organization, which again, I, I found quite quickly only gets you so far if the, if the people that you sit next to are engaging with your content and you might as well just tell them about it without going on social media. <laughs> so I started to branch out a lot more and start to connect with those that, that were, let's say, uh, either thought leaders themselves or influencers within the sector to, to see how they do this and, and to learn from those that are already doing it. Uh, and during that process, I, I started to, to reach out to a lot, a lot of people I started to build a bit of a network around that, started to follow um, and attend more events and present at more events myself and, and started to therefore generate some content that uh, I thought was of interest and, and worth sharing. And I think it was a bit of a cyclical thing. So uh, sharing more content, uh, engaging with more people, so building a bit of an audience um, and then creating a platform to share that um, over time has, has certainly helped build up the following that I now have. Um, on, on, the, on the likes of Twitter, as you also mentioned, that's a much bigger following. I think that I find that's a much bigger platform as well. There's, there seems to be a lot more engagement on Twitter. I do treat that slightly differently, though. I, I find it's, it's a bit more around a lot of content and you're trying to stand out from, from uh, others where there's lots of information being shared. And that's where things like hashtag, hashtags make much more of a difference to trying to get into um, the, the news feeds of all of those that they're also using it as a platform. So I've, I've, again, I've adapted, I guess, my behaviors across those different social media platforms to try and cater for the different audiences and the different uh, users of those platforms in terms of the information they're looking to hear um, and engage with, really. So it, so it sounds like a little bit like you never set out to become an influencer with thousands of followers. If I heard you right, it sounded like that you, when you first started on LinkedIn, you wanted to reach out to other people to learn, to network, to build your knowledge. Would that be correct? I mean, yeah, you would be right in saying that. So I, I didn't look to, to kind of get get a, a massive following. And I, and I don't think anyone really should start with that as the goal in mind. It should be a, about creating and cu curating good quality content that those uh, that you kind of work with or those that are in your field or those kind of on the outer 
uh, edges of that area would be interested in. And I think content is key across all social media platforms, really, isn't it? The, creating something interesting and, and engaging is the most important part of it. And, and you're right. So that's that's really what I started with is how can I start to get something out there? But at the same time, it's as I said, there's no point just sharing that if it's only going around a very small community. If you don't have a megaphone to shout this out that's going to break that, it just goes around a very small group and you're not really breaking in or not really making the most of what social media is there to do. Mm. How long ago did you start that process then? Are we talking like a couple of years ago or several years ago? I mean, you know, I noticed you started on Twitter. I think it was 2012. So that was um, quite early. So so that that, that sounds early, doesn't it? I think you're right. I probably did open my profile then. Um, but if you look, if I look back, I probably didn't really use it until 2017, 2018. So okay. I probably had tweeted three or four times during that period because I, one, I didn't really understand the benefits of it. And two, I didn't really under, well, know what I wanted to, to be known for, or what I wanted to share. Um, I've obviously tweeted many, many more times since then. And, and part of that is curating um, what I find interesting content. So I have to admit, I do use some automation on things like Twitter to to find articles of interest. I will curate those, look at things that are happening in the news around AI and NLP and deep learning and and other uh, relative uh, disciplines. And then I share those out. Uh, So it's almost as though, which I was using actually before, my own news feed that I then find of interesting articles. So I only really started using it to do that more probably around 2018 and started to build a following at that time. So, yeah, it's, it's probably two, three years worth of of effort. And I say effort because it is something you need to keep at. If you're just going to tweet once a month using the, or using Twitter or, or only post one LinkedIn post a month, that's not really going to start breaking, you, breaking out and, and starting to get you uh, engagement with those outside of your inner circle. So it needs you need to start to think about a plan of, of what content you're going to share. Start just schedule content. Are you, you are you scheduling tools like Hootsuite if you're familiar with to start to set up a routine of content that goes out. And as I said, although with Twitter I I do use it to tweet a lot. LinkedIn is very much more personalised and they're all um, bespoke messages that I send maybe once or twice a week uh, to to get out uh, content that's relevant to what we're doing currently or, or things that are coming up in the near future yeah i love i love your story and um especially around that you built this following within three years because a lot of people i think listening to this think oh yeah this is 10 to 20 years and and you know i i could start but i just you know i i could i could never get there but actually what's obvious very very early on is that you're very strategic and you found some niche areas that you know that there's big communities around and you've and you've chosen to play there and yes. been very very focused and you've been able to achieve that in a relatively short space of time I mean, three years is obviously a significant amount of time but not yeah. but not in terms of, i mean some people have said i've you know been 20 years building mm. this up and actually you know i would have thought that it would have been a lot longer but that's yeah. that's really cool that it's been over a, a relatively short space of time I do think that, again, I can't take full credit for that. Obviously, work with an organization that's very supportive of this. Um, but also the, the topic areas, right? We, we've all heard about data science. We've all heard about how artificial intelligence is, is going to potentially take over in the future. These are, these are interesting topics. These are engaging topics. And they're topics that break out from industry. They, they go into the public psyche in terms of things that um, people have heard about. They're, most of us have... Uh, a, uh, a voice command uh, kit in our homes, whether you're using Alexa or Google products to do that, we're kind of getting more familiarized with it. So, so I've been lucky to be in an area that there is general interest in already. So sharing this content and being a voice in this, in this area has, has been easier, I guess, than if you're trying to start from an area that is more niche. So Again, my advice would be try and connect whatever topics that you're interested in or focused in into something that has broad appeal, something that others could uh, gain benefit from, uh, even if they're not working directly in that area, that they could still find an interest in it. 
And you, you talk a little bit about Twitter and LinkedIn. Are you on any other platforms or are they your primary platforms, social platforms? Yeah, it's a good question. So they are my primary ones. I have tried others, uh, to be honest, uh, but not not made as as, as much headway. Okay. Um, and I, I think these, from a business perspective, I think these work quite well. I think they're, the structure of th those two that we've called out there are, are kind of geared up to do that. And whether it's using LinkedIn and, and using kind of social events like we're doing now for live streaming on, on that platform or doing tweet chats, which I get involved in quite regularly on the Twitter platform, they're almost de designed to to facilitate these kind of connections and these building these relationships which is part of the goal i did this in the first place was to, to branch out and to to connect to more interesting people and and understand their viewpoints so yeah th these are the two i focused on for now that's not to say i won't try others in the future as well well i was going to say I mean, uh, so uh um we couldn't find you on tiktok creating lots of videos uh, <laughs> yeah. yes uh, yeah, yeah or instagram maybe, I yeah. They're, maybe they're the next ones to go to i think yeah, yeah. video content imagery uh, I'm, it's not my strong suit, uh, so but again, they have their place, and they're obviously from an influence perspective, uh, extremely valuable sources as well. But not not areas that I've had time to go into yet. So, would you say that that you feel most comfortable in the, in writing longer form content or curating your know, short form content? I mean, where, where where's your where's your sweet spot? Yeah, so it's, it's a mix. And I think that's changed over time, Tim. I used to blog quite regularly. I, I still do uh, and write articles uh, on, on certain topics of interest. But again, I think some of the short form content, content where, it, where you're trying to get across uh, sometimes complex topics in, in a very easy and digestible form um, gets more engagement. It, it, it certainly has more interest and um, is easier to generate quickly. Right. So it takes less time to, 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 to develop and to curate and, and to build. So I have had a mix over the years and I still blog. Um, I still use that as a platform to share. Um, but again, it, it's the time. right? It's, it's fitting this into your day job as well, because we all have day jobs and we're all uh, doing other things. And I've tried to do this as a uh, as an aside to what I do day to day, but certainly uh, never letting it take uh, a priority over what needs to be done day to day, but at least giving it the time uh, that's necessity to, to kind of grow and, and to develop as well. I'd like to explore a little bit on the tweet chats, please, because I I we I don't think, Tim, we've had anyone who talks about um, tweet chats and, and it sounds like you do do them quite regularly. And do you host them or are you guests on them? Can you talk yep. through for the audience just a little bit about what that involves and why you find them so useful? Yeah, certainly so. I, um, it's a bit of both, actually. So we, as an organization, we do run our own, and actually quite frequently, usually weekly, we will run a, a SAS chat, so a tweet chat, on an engaging topic uh, that we get influencers involved in and then share this and, and schedule this so that it's content that people can follow along to and then release some of the output from that afterwards as well. So it's a good way to collect information and collect insights into an easy-to-read form but then creates almost the long form content on the back of it. So we, we do that. I've been involved in that for, for a few years now, but also guest uh, uh, support for other organizations and, and for those running their own tweet chats. And even those that are not asked to get involved in, if it's an interesting topic to myself, I will engage on, I will tweet about, and I will answer questions that are posed as part of it. And I think it's a really nice way, again, to, if you're looking to build up a network, if you're looking to build up um, or find like-minded individuals that are talking about the same topic. Um, these are great ways to engage. They're great ways to share and to learn because at the end of the day, those that are speaking about this typically have their own points of view, own perspective, and it may be different to, you, to your own and you will learn something. So I typically learn quite a bit from engaging in, in these tweet chats uh, about topics that even if I have experience in, I, I don't obviously know everything about. So yeah, they're quite useful for that, Sarah. Hmm. I, I guess really, that. Oh yeah, go on, Tim. Well, I just, I just said it. I think it's really cool that that you're you're actively driving an engagement model. You're also learning. You're having the community engagement, and the SaaS team are repurposing that into longer form content. So yes. it's yeah. it's like hitting four or five different different cool tactics, like with with a quite uh, economical use of time because it's what one hour 
typically with a yep. tweet chat. And it's, uh, crowd, so it's crowdsourcing, right? At the end of the day, you're you're asking the universe or you're asking the, the Twitter universe if it's a tweet chat on their opinions on these topics. Now, of course, you don't get thousands of people necessarily contributing, but even if you get one or two or 10 that you wouldn't normally engage with sharing their opinion, you're, you're creating a platform in itself of, of content around a particular topic. So they, they are good. Uh, again, the risks of it are that you need to make sure others or, or need to try and reach out beyond your own network to get engagement on this and using hashtags and using relevant uh, ones at least to broaden that reach is very important because otherwise you do end, you, it's very easy to focus that down into just a small community. And what you really want with tweet chats is to get as a larger community as possible, following along, contributing along, and then sharing their valuable insights as well. Yeah, I've just been thinking about that actually. Yeah, crowdsourcing content. And this I think is where, you know, marketing teams need to be a bit more, they need to be a bit smarter about this because we talk about user-generated content, employee-generated content, influencer, co-created yep. content, but then actually crowdsourcing content um, and engaging insights from community, mm. that's pretty cool, actually. Yep. That, that's efficient, it's smart, it's genuine voices, you know, it's humans behind the content. Yep. Um, yeah. Like yeah, it's the wisdom of the crowds, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. getting that information from those around you. And obviously you need to have content to begin with. You need to have um, something to talk about or something to share. You need to have the audience, so participation. Um, but if you can start to match those and if you can, if you can bring to light some de debatable topics, the topics that that those will have an opinion, will voice opinion. I think it's a great source. It's a great source of uh, more content and more engagement topics that that could be created, and and that's what you really want, right? Out of all of this, is something that's that others will engage on. And if they're, if you've got a group of people contributing their own opinions, you're already getting that just in the creation phase. Yeah, love it. I, I'd love to ask you about social audio. So, what are the conversations internally, or your own personal opinion on? Clubhouse, Twitter Spaces, you know the other platforms that are offering social audio. Is it is it something that that you're going for, or just watching, or have you have you featured on there? Yeah, I, that's an interesting one, Tim. It's not something I've actively engaged in so far. I have I've seen that others have started to do more of it, and I think it, it looks interesting. It looks a good way, again, a, a novel way to, to share, and certainly. Uh, obviously slightly different to this, but things like podcasts over the last few years have rapidly grown in terms of their um, the, the, the amount that's being generated and, and also the engagement that people are getting. People, I, I, or I find I engage better with podcasts or I, I'm, I can listen to podcasts easier than I can read about a topic because you can be doing other things and you can fit it into your day-to-day -day routine. So I think that side of it, is it is growing but it's also going to be a good way for thought leaders for for marketing agencies and marketing organizations to, to start to share content and start to engage on content yeah i i i also thought you speak at a lot of events don't you mm. Ian? you you get invited to conferences yep. you speak at events um how does social uh, support you at those events do you use social do you switch it off when you're there are you, are you connecting with people on social and then ending up meeting them up in person how does yeah. it work yeah i think there's a bit of a mix of all of those sarah we yeah. we obviously well i obviously uh, try and make uh, everyone aware of these events before they happen if i'm if even if i'm not involved if it's something i'm interested in i will share that but being at the event and engaging at the event and sharing content at the event Obviously, it's harder to do now as well. It's not hard to do now as we're virtual, but um, you're not necessarily going to be taking any video or picture content when you're sitting at your desk. But those were good ways to start to, to share further engagement and to get an audience that are millions of miles away, potentially, uh, still involved in an event that's happening quite locally. So, yes, in the past, a lot more so. Now, on virtual events, I try and have a slightly different approach and... I might record a video or a bit of audio prior to it, the event happening, that which can be shared on the social platforms, and then have a wrap-up or, or content shared post-event as a, a kind of a summary or a, a viewpoint on, on what was seen and what was covered. So it needs to almost wrap around those kind of focal points 
And particularly with the kind of uh, webinar fatigue that we all uh, have experienced and gone through, I imagine, over the last six to 12 months, um, having other ways to engage on it without having to just sit through content and watch content is beneficial, I think, as well. Yeah, chopping it up making yeah. it a bit more accessible. I'd love to ask a, uh, a slightly different question around like what what are your biggest successes? Like what, what, what's what been the kind of most proud moment or like a major success to you, like either like personal or business wise, just yeah. from having a presence on social media? Yeah, that's a good question. And and I would I would say being involved in the online analytica lists. So thank you for that, Tim, uh, being oh, part of those pleasure. and voted before. <laughs> but but actually, and this is this is a personal one, building up a big a bigger audience. I actually have connected to a lot of different people at li- different levels of their career and stages of their career. And this and the engagements I get the most value out of is actually those right at the start that maybe are still at university or even before university that now connect and and, and will send messages asking about how they can progress, how can they be successful in data science, or what do they path should they follow? And without having the, the kind of uh, the, the level of connections I have now, I got less of that. To be honest, it was it was maybe a, a couple of people. I now get lots and lots of people, and and it, it's quite fulfilling to be able to share some of my perspectives and, and share some advice to those that are now looking for a career. I mean, you, you mentioned Tim that I've been at SAS ten years, and before that I was I was a risk analyst, uh, and before that I was uh, doing I was still at university studying uh, around the topics of statistics and operational research. I could never have managed, imagined back then a career in data science. A career in data science didn't actually exist back then. In fact, I was a statistician before I was a data miner and then a data scientist. And who knows what I'll be in a few <laughs> years' time. So being able to prepare yourself and, and share that with others that are developing their careers, I think is crucial. And, and this having a social media presence has certainly helped me um, engage more with those that are also looking to, to get a fulfilling career post academia and and into industry. I think that's a really interesting point, isn't it, Tim? Because we've spoken to Shoshana at Intel um, and uh, another organization as well. I can't remember the lady's name now, but um, they both got their first jobs in industry as a result of being active on Mm. social in a professional capacity on LinkedIn whilst they were still at university. So it's really interesting that you're getting people outreaching to you saying, how do I get into a career of data science and you know, I just find that whole thing fascinating that, you know, university students, if they understood this, could yeah. actually get a career, you know, before they yeah. even leave. So and that's part of the advice, Sarah, is actually get social, start to share a bit about what you're passionate around. And I think that's a differentiator nowadays. So those that are all at the, the university, those that are either undergraduate or postgraduate, it is very competitive out there. And, and it is hard to differentiate yourselves, um, particularly where that there's a there's a lot of students looking for the, for a career path and I, I find using social media platforms whether it's the standard ones we've talked about here or using things like uh, github for example or towards data science or, or medium or other outlets where content can be shared you need to build up a bit of a presence and it actually helps you from a portfolio perspective uh, particularly in data science if you can prove that you've done some work in this space before and that and nowadays we actually look at that as part of the hiring process more and more uh, on top of people's uh, or students' um, CVs and, and what, they've, what they've achieved at university. So it's another arm to being successful and developing a career is being able to showcase that and, and share that in a way that others can, can digest and, and, can, and can see and engage with. Yeah, I think I think it's a massive point, and uh, and also I didn't notice until um, until yesterday that we're you know fellow Southampton, uh, you know, oh, we? Southampton oh, well, Uni there you go. in the in the south yeah. of England for anyone uh, um, not from England who don't know where Southampton is, mm. um, but uh, yeah, when I left uh, university at two thousand and one, um, we had no people really coming in to speak to us about. Like there was one person that was a, a 
in inverted commas, successful businessman that spoke to us, which we were very, very um, honored to have. And it was very uh, motivating for us. But there was obviously no kind of social, um, you know, uh, path for us to take yeah. or sort of any way in which we could prove what we were like um, before, like sending a CV yeah. along with 4,000 other CVs to a graduate <laughs> management program. And, you know, I love what you're doing that. I mean, have you gone back to, to the university or are you, are you going to, have, do, do you do some, you know, some, um, uh, some talks or? Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, so we do too. And we, so we have an academic outreach program that we run. In fact, one of the objectives for all of my team is to, to be linked to a university to kind of give that back and also showcase what what the world looks like outside of uni, uh, university and 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 where the applications of their knowledge uh, can be applied, where they where where they can start to look for roles and, and jobs, particularly obviously in data science. Um, but I'm also lucky enough to still be linked to to the university, so I actually um, am a, an adjunct professor at Southampton University. I still lecture, so I still teach a module on marketing analytics using data science techniques. Oh, every year, which is, is is really rewarding and and again gives me that other perspective around the next generation what they're looking for what the skills that they need and obviously things like data literacy are, are so important now to, to understand and to know about uh, throughout the academic process and into into working careers so yeah being able to, to still be engaged is i think it's important uh, to, to to give that back as well amazing no, I think I think that's a that, that's a really cool point. It must be so fulfilling because that's part of the. I think everyone's felt a bit weird over the, especially over the past couple of years, that it's the the kind of daily grind. But it must be very personally satisfying, like you said, to to help the sort of next generations come through. Um, yep. It doesn't necessarily hit business targets per se, but it's um, but it's part of the ecosystem. Yeah, and it's it's the it's all in, in the benefit of all of us, right? To to uh, to support. Uh, those that are going through any academic program, whether it's university level or, or before that, and to support with skills, because we're, we're looking as a market, we need that. There's, there's a shortage of um, data scientists out there, data engineers. Um, it's something that as a, as a country, we need to, to focus more on. And we need um, those coming out of university to be bu building the skills that, that are required for it. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly something I, I engage with. I know all my team engage with as well. Um, and it is very fulfilling to, to, to support that and, and to see to see those progress out of university into, into roles as well. Fabulous idea. I'm off to university do tonight, actually. Did you okay. not think I was all a bit dressed up, Tim? I, I did. I was, I was going to ask Sarah. But, Rushing uh, out I didn't, the door. I didn't... I didn't want to say that you were dressed up because you would say, no, it's my normal stuff. Like, what are you yeah. saying? <laughs> Did I normally look smart? Uh, yeah, exactly. no, but I'm um, affiliated to the Portsmouth University. I didn't go there, but okay. I do some sort of guest lecturing around marketing yep. things just for a bit of fun. But it is real, quite rewarding. But I love the idea of aligning the teams, local mm. team members to theirs, which is great. Um yeah, I wanted to ask a little bit about your most successful post because you, like you said, you do a lot of content, you do video content, and I noticed actually a couple of your video pieces that you've done on LinkedIn. But you used to write long form content. Yeah. What What do you think your audience prefers? I mean, through all the data that you look at, what do you yep. think they engage with best? What, for you, what works? Yeah, and you're right. So, as a data scientist, of course, <laughs> I look at the numbers. Of course, I look at the data. So, that is something I, I have looked at over the years and. It, it does vary. It varies from audience to audience. But the, I think the, the thing that stands out the most and, and where I've had the most success in posts and that I've got the most engagement on the most uh, comments on is where I'm sharing a, my own perspective. So having my own point of view that's then being shared. And that doesn't need to be a long form post. It could be a short, sharp, uh, interesting bit of insight. And I think some of the ones that I've written before around, for example, not needing to have advanced degrees in certain subjects to be successful so not needing a PhD to be a data scientist I wrote about a few years ago it got a lot of uh, traction and got a lot of uh, interest because others are out there looking today to, to understand where where should they go and, and what do they need as skills to be successful in the future so having a perspective and explaining why that's the case and standing by that I find it gets the most engagement 
obviously there are other posts that I try to do that are a bit more interactive. So as you mentioned, say I have a video post and they, they do pretty well. Um, obviously I think that helps with the LinkedIn algorithm as long as you're keeping uh, engagement within the platform. So sharing videos that are embedded, they work fairly well. I find anything that's linking outside of LinkedIn though, tends to, again, I don't know if that's the algorithm or not, but that does tend to get less of an engagement. So sharing stuff within the platform that you're wishing to share to tends to get a bit more of an engagement and a bit more um, interaction. And I certainly have found over the years that the way in which I post, when I post, the time of day I post does make a difference. I typically now stick to Tuesdays and Thursdays on LinkedIn, usually just before lunchtime seems to get the most traction if you look at the data. Uh, but it's the tips and so, so you mean 11 11 a.m uh gmt yeah gmt time again this will depend upon your audience though right so if you've got predominantly a north american audience that time needs to be equivalent there and and the same with apac or, or wherever you're sharing to but in a uk perspective yeah certainly just before lunch on tuesdays and thursdays i think we all will find that period of time of the week where we might be distracted or might be checking the social channels that seems to work quite well. Um, and then obviously you know, on Twitter, it's, it's different, but a, a lot more content spread out throughout the day. And as I said, I try and curate uh, RSS feeds, so feeds of news articles and, and post those out uh, uh, more regularly. Uh, but again, that's for my own benefit as much as anyone else's because I will then check my own Twitter feed and utilize that for content and, under and understanding what's going on generally outside of my sphere of influence as well. No, I'd love to understand, since you're obviously extremely analytical um, and you're getting a successful engagement, could you just talk us through a bit about how many topics you focus on, you know, which are the hashtags? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of, some people have a strategy to do, I'm just going to post when I want, but it yep. seems that you're, you're quite, you're quite strategic and, and disciplined in how you do it. It would be great to understand, like, you know, your kind of routine and, and you know, the, the kind of parameters that you use. Yeah, I think on that, Tim, and, and I kind of referred to it at the start, right, that I, I wanted to have a voice in a certain area. And I think I've stuck to that. So artificial intelligence is probably the topic, as well as things like big data, are the, the two main topics that I focus on. I have changed over the years um, as I've developed myself and, and as I've focused on other areas to things like responsible AI and uh, AI ethics now is an area that I'm, I'm extremely passionate about and an area that we're doing a lot of research and, and support into. So it's all around the same sphere, but I try and keep all the content I share related to that so that, again, from an audience perspective, they know what they're getting. If they, if they follow me, they're going to get stuff that's related to AI, related to big data, related to ethics, and that's it. I think anything more than that, it can be a confusing message. Um, so having 100 hashtags about different topics compared to maybe three or four um, about a specific topic, I, I personally find, find that's better. Um, and that's the way I've treated my um, platform is, is to try and focus in on those specific topics and then try and build a bit of a, um, a, a following around that so that, that those that, that, that do follow me on LinkedIn or do follow me on Twitter know that that's what they're going to get. And it's it's kind of a clear offering in terms of what my uh, area of expertise and thought leadership are in. And, and are you... Focus. Sorry, I was just... Sorry, Sarah. I was just, um, just, just quickly on that. I, do you do analytics into the size of hashtag communities around hashtag AI or hashtag artificial intelligence and which one is bigger on LinkedIn versus Twitter and and the combination of hashtags to... to to be able to access like hundreds of thousands on one particular hashtag and then a, yes. like a deep dive. Like, is that all part of your psyche when you're when It you're is posting? a little bit, Tim. I, I have to say I, I did look at it more a few years ago and now I've just felt fallen into a bit of a routine. So whether it's as applicable as it was, then I'm not sure. But obviously I, hashtag AI, hashtag data science, hashtag big data are all well-followed uh, topic areas and do get a lot of engagement. Um, there are others as well, though, that I found. And again, Twitter is different. I find Twitter, um, there are uh, automation that others use as well that will engage with certain topics automatically. So I have found that if you include certain hashtags, 
um, robots, for example, or IoT in tweets, they will automatically get engagement. Now, whether that's playing to the system or not, I still think if you're going to break out and, and get more engagement, it's worth including some of those. So whether or not they're the most topical, they're still relevant and there's still areas that others are engaging on. So I do, with LinkedIn, try and be more specific to those, as I mentioned around AI and big data and data science. I go a bit, a little bit further with, with Twitter, but that's more to reach a wider audience and get engagement from a wider audience as well. Um, it's something I probably should look into a bit more because that does change uh, over time in terms of interest and, and, and patterns. Um, but again, whatever works and, and adapting that is is advisable if you're wanting to increase your engagement levels and your following. Mm. I love your laser focused approach, though. You own the topic, you own the niche, you, you that, and that's how you get on the lists, right? Because you're yep. clear about what you stand for and what your message is. I did have to smile though when you said about AI ethics because I watched that video about your barber saying, you know, Alexa's like listening to everything yep. and uh, the government's going to be, <laughs> they know the everything perception. about me. Yeah, that's the perception though, like Sarah. And there's a perception that we need to be yeah. careful with. I think there's, there's, I'm obviously I'm an AI optimist, um, yeah. but there is a lot of bad press out there. And, and, I, and I think in some cases for good reason, I think there's a there's not, it's sometimes um, it's not well defined and it's not well described and it's not as tra as transparent as it should be, and that's something it's on all of us, not just those who are in the world of development, but those of, it, it, as members of the public, we should be challenging more what AI is being used for and how it's being deployed, and and that's something I'm I'm very passionate about, obviously, and, and an area that I do speak a lot and. And we even so I've talked about and I, I posted a long form post uh, during the year around having um, a Hippocratic oath for data science. I call it the datacratic oh, oath, but it's it's having a set of oaths or set of rules that we abide by in terms of developing and, and applying these uh, algorithmic approaches. And I'm again, I think that's something that we, we will see more and more over time and whether that's regulated or whether that's brought through by the uh, communities. I think it's a very important thing to have. It's something that yeah. uh, social advocacy and using these platforms to talk about is, is an important thing to do. Well, I, it kind of freaked me out. I mean, I, it's not it's not at all like the government spying on me, but I was moaning at the kids the other day for taking all my pegs and building a yep. tent in the living room. And then the next thing on Amazon, it's suggesting that I buy some pegs. So, yep. I mean, like, you know, something's going on, isn't it? I know it's not, yeah. not to do with the government, but I'm kind of thinking... Yeah, that, that did freak me. I have to say, though, Ian, one thing I did want to say, you, you've got a family. Um, mm. How on earth do you find time for all of this? How do you how do you find the time? What's your routine? Because people will be watching this thinking, how do you fit it in? Yeah, it is, it's difficult, I have to admit. But, but also, um, having done um, research before I went into industry and, and, and completing a doctorate and then writing a book uh, previously, it, it's I've got into a pattern of finding time and dedicating time in the day, whether it's nine till 10 p.m. in the evening or, or whenever to, to focus on other things and to do other things. And I do fit this into that. So as I, I do schedule posts, so I do uh, come up with content throughout the week and I'll put that to one side and, and put it into an almost orchestration engine to make sure that they get sent out. Um, there's a lot of support from the organization that I work for as well. We have our own digital spearhead program and there is time allocated to be able to do things like this. So, again, having a supportive um, uh, organization is, is important as well. And I say I'm, I'm not a marketing expert myself, um, but I try and convey the messages that we from a marketing perspective we want shared. So I, I feel as though I'm a voice in that space, but it's not by any means my my core day to day activity. It's something that is done alongside what I do day to day. I think it's uh, it's interesting that you say that you're not a marketing expert because I think what's great about it is you obviously are a kind of a natural marketer without you know trying to think through what marketing is about because mm -hmm. you know it's just the normal you know way of you communicating with the community which is actually what Sarah and I feel is one of the most effective forms of marketing anyway so yeah. it, it it's great because I, I think I've lost what the definition of marketing actually is over the over the decades because I you know everything's sort of merging into one so yeah. um so well, it's, it's actually nice to it's nice if, if if it if data science doesn't work out it sounds like I've got a career in marketing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
yeah, I think. But I think I think I think what we've found in common, especially doing the series, which Sarah and I love, is just is passion, energy about the topics, and connecting with community, and that's what everyone's got in common. What where yeah. people differ is some people are very strategic. Some people mm. like shoot from the hip and just create content as and when they want to. Some people schedule. Some people don't. Um, that that's where it differs, I think. And, mm -hmm. and the actual personal successes, but everyone's passionate and has the energy about the community. And that's definitely um, the kind of intrinsic value that everyone provides. I think, yeah, I think I'd agree with it. I think you need to be passionate as well for this. As I say, there is a commitment there. If you do want to grow a platform, if you do want to grow the engagement, you've got to be passionate about it. It's got to be a topic you care about because if it's not, you're not going to be engaged yourself and, and you're going to struggle to, to, to keep up with that and to share content cons consistently so having consistency with it having a passion for it is is crucial and i and i'm lucky for that because that as i say the topics i talk about are are inbuilt or embedded in me and these are things that i i talk day-to-day -to, -day to organizations about anyway so i am keen to share about it and, and share my uh, my ideas my thoughts on these as well uh, I, so, so, yeah. sorry go for it go for it sorry no, I was just going to say to you, Tim, I think that is the bit, though, isn't it, Tim, that people struggle with because employees can't get over that. They don't quite know what it is that they are passionate about. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right. The common thread through all of these, Tim, has been, you know, they love their topic. They love what they do and they do, and it just comes across and they don't have to work hard at it. It just comes naturally. So that's all I was, I was just going to comment on. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's really cool. Um, mm. It's just really cool to see. Um, how have, Ian, how have you... How have you inspired other exec leaders that are maybe maybe social cynics or don't have as much time on social, uh, but are kind of wanting to get there? Um, how do you like? What advice do you give them, or have you got an example of where you've helped someone kind of break through? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say I do advise day to day on that, Tim. It's something that, as I say, I'm passionate about, but but. If, if people are interested in it, it's up to them. I think what I would say, though, is you've got to have a reason to do it. There's got to be a perspective that you want to, to use it for. As I said, up until recently, I didn't use social media. I, I probably was a cynic myself. I, I, Sarah, you quite rightly pointed out I've had a, a Twitter account for almost 10 years and only really actively use that for three of those, so 30% of that time. Um, I didn't see the need at the time. I didn't feel as though it was something that I had an opinion to share or opinion that was worthwhile sharing. Um, and obviously what's changed is, as I focused in and I've decided this is an area that I want to be known for, I want to talk about, and that's driven me to do this. So for those that are interested and everybody has their own specializations, their own focus areas, and their own uh, passions, if you have something that you want to talk about or you want to share or you think others could benefit from, then doing something like this is, is a perfect avenue for that. But I think that needs to come first. You need to make that decision first before then engaging. And, and otherwise, it's it, as I say, you've got to have that commitment there. It's got, you've got to be doing consistently. Um, I've been doing this now for three years, but it's been a consistent thing. I haven't dipped out of that during that period. It's been a, um, a building process throughout. Um, and I and I will continue to do that, and it's something I will continue to be passionate about. But you've got to have a bit of commitment there to, to decide to do it, and then have something to talk about as well. What would you say, Ian? Because I I think there are. I mean, we I've certainly come across folks that have said, especially technical people that have got you know value, thought, leadership. They understand mm -hmm. the the subject matter area really closely. Um, but they don't want to give that knowledge away because they kind of feel like, you know, if I'm giving out away that knowledge, you yeah. know, that, that doesn't make me special. Where does my value go? What, what would you say to that? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I guess people see things from different perspectives. I, I'm, I like to coach. I like to mentor. I like to share what I know. I don't feel what I know is anything necessarily special. Uh, but at the same time, I, I'd rather empower others with that knowledge than, than hold it to myself. But again, that's a that's a personal thing, right? You've got to be comfortable with what you're sharing, and and I have lines. I don't share everything I do, and every uh, all of the intrinsic things that I've picked up or worked on or been involved in development of. Um, not all of that's content that I would want to share, but it's working out where you draw that line, working out what you think others could benefit from, 
and and what are you prepared to share to others is going to be the kind of the site the deciding point with that and and i apply that inside outside of work as well it's these are things if it's something i'm really interested about and i i want others to also be interested or passionate about i will share it so that that's the way i kind of make that decision sarah with with the stuff i have and i share online okay now, i've got a very specific question uh around creating content with external influences okay, so yeah do, do you because you built up your community and mm -hmm. and I think what was really telling at the beginning was saying that you know LinkedIn your know, SaaS employees you know, is wonderful but it only gets you so far it's about yeah. you know speaking outside of the echo chamber that is your own organization so now that you've got an extensive network of external influencers and thought leaders yes how do you co-create content with them yeah, so I think to start with on that, Tim, it, it was engaging with them. So there, there were a number of influencers already in the space of data science and AI. And to begin with, I would start uh, retweeting, liking, commenting, um, sharing their content first. So it's it's starting to build up a bit of a, uh, a digital relationship, I guess, with those thought leaders. And then as, as my profile's raised and, and as I've got a bit of a following, it kind of gives you the remit to do things together. Now I, I don't I can't admit to going out there and asking other thought leaders to 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 engage, but we end up crossing paths more often than not on content creation. And whether that's doing things like tweet chats or whether that's engaging on corporate events, uh, which 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 are other aspects of what we do, um, you start to build up more of a um, a relationship there. And there there is you know, will likely be avenues to explore further down the line then to co-create or to, to to work together on. But I think it's initially starting to build up a mutual benefit of where you're sharing and they're sharing. And then there's there's a crossroads in terms of where those two topics combine. And that's really how I started to build those relationships early on, uh, two or three years ago, with those that are already specialists, already experts in the field. Um, and, and people like, I don't know if you know Kirk Bourne or Ronald Van Loon, these are other experts about big data and AI. And I've had the privilege to actually meet a couple of both of those before. So you, you end up then crossing paths physically at events as well. So it's trying to build up a bit of a network internally and externally around these topics that you can share alongside. Uh, uh, I, I, love, I love that. Just taking your words, like almost getting on the radar, digital mm. relationship, and then you're on that peer-to-peer Yes, level, and then there's the mutual benefit, and then there's the just natural opportunity, which comes. I, yeah. I love, I love that, um, I love that journey because that that's awesome. Yeah, and you got to you got to earn earn that right because three year, years ago, from a digital perspective, I wasn't there was nobody. I was just another user of LinkedIn and, and as a barely user of Twitter. So you've got to you've got to start to to show your true colors in terms of what you you're about, what you know, what you can share. Uh, as well and and everyone starts somewhere and it's just uh, getting going and, and trying things and failing and uh, as i have found and we've talked about the benefits and what's worked but obviously a lot of things didn't work during those three years and it's learning from those mistakes and and, and trying to find a golden path as it were to how you share content and how best to do it and failing fast is is an important aspect of of achieving and succeeding in that I was going to. I'm. I'm curious now. What didn't work? But that's putting you on the spot, and you probably can't yeah. remember. <laughs> no, no, it's a good question, sir. I think I tried a lot to begin with, and we've talked about me being laser focused. I, I, to begin with, it was a bit more broad. Actually, it was okay. trying to hit too many bases at once, and mm. trying to cater for all, and coming up with a different topic each week almost. And and that's I quickly learned that that wasn't the way forward. And also the way in which I was engaging and, and write, writing lots of uh, very in detailed, in-depth articles or sharing really in-depth content. Again, it's not always the best way to go. People want things that they can pick up, they can digest uh, fairly rapidly, particularly within the social platform. You don't want you know, people don't have time necessarily to engage in, in all of the long form content. So it's it's learnings and lessons like that, Sarah, that, that, that I've changed my behavior and I've started to adapt more to, to what what the audience want to hear about as opposed to what I want to do. Yeah. yeah I, th I think those are two really good pieces of advice. You know, stay, stay true to your subjects and, mm. and, you know, and, you know, produce of snackable, yep. engaging content. 
I think I think that's I think that's great. And we used to see, you know, from doing the analytics of a lot of social media uh, influencers, some people using twenty different hashtags on every mm. single post. And yeah. I think one thing that you said, which is really interesting, is uh, be aware of the ones where some of the robots pick them up to drive the engagement model maybe in the first 10 minutes of your post to yep. just give it a bit of a lift but don't automate hashtags to be too broad like there's a no. there's a very fine balance yeah and, and it's, it's, to... it's a balance you need to strike as early as possible as well because as, as i've referred to if you do go too broad um you don't then get the audience that are, that that you want or the audience that are going to engage in those topics longer term you might get a quick win to begin with but it's something to, to that you play the longer game for and you want to build up that audience. You want to build up those that will follow and retain that audience as well. Right? We talk about followers, but but churn within followers is a thing to be uh, to be conscious of. If you start changing what you're talking about, you might bring in new people, but you might lose some of those that have been there before. So, yeah, I'd say that's an important aspect of it. Honestly, Ian, I think your journey is incredible, just in three years as well. And it's very um, considered and, you know, you, d you didn't set out to become a major influencer, but it's helped your career, it's helped you learn, yeah. now you're helping others. So it's a fascinating journey, I think. So yeah, well, thank, thank you, you for sharing I, I it. shows that uh, anyone can do it. And also it doesn't take 20 years to do so. So no. I, I think if anything, and I, I do... Uh, within my own organization others are now doing this as well so uh, it's 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 something you once you kind of decide what you want to do what you want to be known for and what you want to talk about and focus on uh, there's nothing stopping anyone doing this as well well, I think it's been very inspirational and hopefully we'll see lots of uh, data science, um, social media aficionados in the in the in the coming year. I know that there's yep. a lot already, but we'll see more and more. Uh, well, sure I'll be even happier if there are, because <laughs> I would say it's, this is this is content I digest myself. So the more the merrier, I would say. Oh, isn't that, that's true community spirit there, isn't it? That is. Love that, yep. Ian. <laughs> well, well thank you thank you so much for joining us in we're um we're uh, beyond uh our normal 45 minutes but we um uh we could just keep on talking so um uh no, it's been a really nice thank conversation thank you sir thank you tim uh, for inviting me on this week oh, it was a pleasure it's really and good. uh uh if you would like to see any more resources uh, for Tribal or Analytica, please go to our website and under the resources section, you'll see lots of other social uh, advocacy videos on other influential experts that have also uh, shared their journey with us. So thank you again to Ian and uh, thanks for tuning in. Cheers, Ian. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Goodbye. Bye.